the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. And welcome back, everybody. We uh, roll into Hour 2 of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner Program. And joining me for this week's edition of Armchair mm-hmm. Politics, we have our uh, roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back. Thank you, Tom. And welcome, as always, to Woodrow uh, Stanley, who joins us from time to time. Thank you. Glad to be here. And uh, let's see, moving on uh, as we continue um, with affairs of state, as I like to call them. Uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer and the Republican-led Michigan legislature have reached a deal on balancing the state's fiscal year 2020 budget using a combination of spending cuts and $915 million worth of federal coronavirus aid to patch up a multi-billion dollar shortfall caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. The deal relies on using federal coronavirus funds to cover costs for schools, universities, and local governments that are facing uh, the things that they are facing due to the coronavirus while making corresponding cuts in state general fund dollars to make up the $2.2 billion shortfall. The spending plan would balance the budget for the current fiscal year after the state saw a steep drop in expected tax revenue due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Legislative leaders still need to work out anticipated multi-billion dollar uh, shortfalls for the next fiscal year, which uh, begins October 1st, in, uh, as they said, in a joint statement. Uh, Whitmer, House Speaker uh, Lee Chatfield, a Republican from Levering, and uh, Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky, Republican from Clark Lake, said they're committed to working together to address remaining shortfalls in next year's budget and called on Congress for additional assistance. Is it easier for uh, Democrat Governor Whitmer and the Republican-controlled legislature to work together when they're spending federal dollars? Oh, I think so. (laughs) I think so. (laughs) It should be. Realistically, that's probably accurate. Yeah, yeah. It marginally, yes. 
But that's how it should work. It should work that way. Why? Why it should work that way? You're spending federal dollars? You need to have cooperation to resolve any kind of action strategy to solve a problem for the people that you represent. Well, I think the point that I was raising is why is it easier for them to work together when it's federal dollars but not state dollars? It's other dollars. people's dollars. <laughs> it's other people's dollars. So yeah. But, but, that's, I mean, but, but that's, that's what you should be. It's all tax money. It right. is all but, tax yeah, money. Yeah, and, and you should be demonstrating that to the people that you serve, that you can work together for for uh, common cause. Woodrow, does it have, um, you, you know, we've been sort of, I've been sort of tongue-in-cheeking this idea that, that, you know, anybody can work together when you're uh, on a spending spree with other people's money. But, <laughs> but, but in, in real life, when there's an accord like this, when they are able to work together, does it make it a little easier the next time, maybe when it's not other people's money? Um, yeah, I, I, I think it does, and it's, again, we're talking about whether it makes makes it easier, uh, easier being um, a term that, that um, you know, we, we use uh, kind of guardedly, but, but this is all about relationships, and I've seen, and, and, and this is not just confined to, uh, you know, politics, but I've seen it obviously, and more in politics, where there's some strange relationships that are um, forged uh, because people get a chance to work with each other, and they get a couple of victories. And it's amazing uh, how when you get a victory, uh, and even though you're working with someone from a, a different party, for instance, that you start saying that, look, I don't like all Republicans or I don't like all Democrats. But that guy, Paul, is a pretty good guy. Or that guy, Henry, I want to work with him the next time. And, it, and you don't have to start at the beginning. Maybe you start at the middle because of the fact that you have a level of trust and respect that, that carries over to the next fight. So, yeah, Tom, absolutely it makes a difference. Well, do you think term limits make, the, make it more difficult to establish those oh, relationships? Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I just... I agree. I, I, uh, I agree. I have great, I have great um, uh, memories of uh, going and, and visiting members of the legislature. I, you know, this is when I was on the city council. So, uh, but but just folks who uh, would introduce me to uh, some of the major players who were Republicans, and th- and and these guys had great affection for each other. Uh, because they had such long-term relationships. When I've gone up to uh, um, the, the UP and and uh, met with uh, Republican uh, leaders up there, and they talk affectionately about uh, some of the Detroit legislators, Democratic legislators that that had gone up there on a political mission, but over time had developed these really deep uh, friendships and and. Um, just, just remarkable, but that could not have happened in this era of term limits. Could not have happened. Mm-hmm. Well, here's uh, a kind of kind of an interesting uh, turnabout here. Attorneys for blind Michigan residents 
are asking a federal judge to find Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, Michigan Director of Elections Jonathan Brader, and their attorneys to be in contempt of court. Blind residents Michael Powell and Fred Wurzel, the current and former president of the Michigan affiliate of the National Federation of the Blind, filed a lawsuit on April 25th, which resulted in all parties entering into a court-enforced consent agreement on May 19th. The agreement required the state to introduce a remote-accessible vote-by-mail system for the August 2020 election, which would allow blind voters to cast an absentee ballot privately and independently in the same manner as non-disabled voters. The lawsuit followed the lead of other states who have implemented such systems to ensure that blind are not excluded from the democratic process. It has now come to light that Secretary Benson failed to take any steps to implement the RAVBM system in time for August, violating the agreement entered into by the parties and threatening to disenfranchise blind voters. Um, A status update submitted at 6.40 p.m. Monday by the Attorney General's office on behalf of Benson and Brader blamed bureaucracy that slowed the bid process to purchase a new remote voting system and the COVID-19 crisis for its inability to comply. The lawsuit claimed the state's push for absentee voting amid the coronavirus pandemic neglected to provide absentee options to blind voters. Is COVID-19 becoming maybe a go-to excuse when government and other systems come up short? <laughs> well, it could, because uh, you can see how systems of government was shut down, production process, distribution was shut down. It affected all facets of life, and I think the, the um, lawsuit here is unfair, <clears throat> because it takes a lot of technology to get that right the first time. And it takes time for people to plan through that process. They're doing the best they can, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, I'll say that. When when I saw that story, I was a little unclear exactly, since everybody's got the right to vote absentee in effect, what the what the, the major problem was with blind voters. Maybe Judge Bernstein can add some views on that one in the Supreme Court if it gets there. But I was a little unclear about what the problem was. I, I, I suspect that it's something uh, something technological, it's like perhaps with the braille. Yeah, uh, the braille, braille ballots, that kind of yeah. thing. Braille yeah. ballots, oh, yeah. okay. and then well, that takes a long time to put together, guys. And then the yeah. and then the equipment to read them. Yeah, okay, yeah. I see what you're talking about. Yeah. So I, I think there there are systems out there, but when they talk about the bid process and all of that kind of stuff, I, mm-hmm. I just raised the question in the, in the way I did, not to be facetious, but but to also caution um, voters and, and residents, but also elected officials that, you know, I, I hope we don't end up in a system where every time the government screws up, you know, that that's related to 2020 or 2021, that they don't say, well, you know, it's all because COVID. We won't be able to move ahead like we won't be able to move from slavery in these days. It's going to come back again and again. But, 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 but Tom... Getting back to the, the, the earlier point on this is that it, it's not beyond, and I think Henry alluded to this, uh, it's not beyond um, our uh, comprehension that 
given yeah. how much the pandemic has affected life as we know it, that most things are going to be impacted. Now, how do you how do you kind of ferret out folks who are gaming uh, the the system when when they screw up? But yeah. but that doesn't that doesn't in any way uh, lessen um, the reality that most things have been affected by the pandemic. And and does this create a situation where a a particular segment of the population is uh, just left behind when it comes to the uh, at least the August election for sure because mm-hmm. it's coming up so quickly. Well, it could be. Um, and when government is doing the best it can, we should not try to push it ahead of its capacity to achieve the. Thing right the first time, and our, and, and our I have to and and I have to ask, what were we doing with blind voters, the last time? Yeah, I mean, blind voters have been voting for a long time, and that's why I yeah. made the comment about Justice Bernstein. I assume he's been voting, uh, but and I really don't know the answer to that, to be honest with you. Yeah, but I think it's the reading of Braille and the system that does it. You can go in and. Uh, they they have ballots that are probably punched at Braille, you know. But to read the language and stuff like that, and set up the system, and, uh, that would be difficult. And they need to hire some of the people on this roundtable to do it for us. But is that, it? rather than saying, you know, we didn't get the new system because of COVID, wouldn't the better response have been, we wanted to have a new system, but we're going to have to yeah. use the old one because it's been delayed by COVID and, 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 and let it rest at that and say, yeah, we are in violation of that, and here's why. That's more palatable and, and, to accept. I was going to say also, Henry, that the, the other caveat to that is that um, the answer can't be, that, you know, I'm not sure what the answer has to be, but I, I know what the answer can't be, and that is that, sorry, guys, uh, you, you know, you're, dis- you're disenfranchised. That can't yeah. be the answer. Right, right. So w- whatever the cost is, you know, as an, in- as, as an interim kind of solution, we bear that cost because whether it's the pandemic that's at fault or some bureaucrat that didn't do what they were supposed to do, the the the, the, the individuals that can't not be uh, harmed are the voters. And in this case, we're talking about um, the uh, blind voters. True. Very true. Yeah. Well, on that note, we're going to have to uh, take another break here. But we're gonna, when we come back, we're going to talk about presidential daily briefings some more. And uh, also the uh, Supreme Court's uh, refusal to take up a case involving uh, the, the once famous border wall. <laughs> when we come back <laughs> and continue with armchair politics, uh, we have our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Politico Emeritus Woodrow Stanley. We're going to let our broadcast partners at WFOV 92.1 FM, our voices radio in Flint, squeeze a few words in edgewise or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. And uh, we'll let them squeeze in a few words. And if you're streaming us uh, at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well.
Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner Program is hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us, at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. I was telling you a little while ago about my wife, and I don't want you to be confused, but we were, I've been married more, more than once. In fact, I've been married three, three times. But my first two wives each died a very tra- tragic death. My first wife died from eating po- poisoned mushrooms. And my second wife died from a... Fr- fractured skull. She wouldn't eat her mushroom. 
you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsi than flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program with our uh, roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Politico Emeritus Woodrow Stanley. Welcome back, guys. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you. Well, the intelligence Good that... Good uh, Thanks, Henry. The intelligence that assessed there was an effort by a Russian military intelligence unit to pay the Taliban to kill U.S. soldiers was included in one of President Donald Trump's daily briefings on intelligence matters sometime in the spring, according to a U.S. official with direct knowledge of the latest information. That assessment, the source said, was backed up by several pieces of information that supported the view that there was an effort by the Russian intelligence unit, the GRU, to pay bounties to kill U.S. soldiers, including interrogation of Taliban detainees and electronic eavesdropping. The source said there was some other information that did not corroborate this view, but said nonetheless this was a big deal when it's about U.S troops you go after it a hundred percent with everything you've got the new york times reported monday night that the intelligence had been included in a written version of the president's daily brief in late february trump is not known to fully or regularly read the president's daily brief something that is well known within the white house he is instead orally briefed two or three times a week by his intelligence officials the White House maintains he was not briefed about this in the oral session. Is the president's cavalier attitude toward the PDB or presidential daily briefing reckless? I think certainly in this case it would seem to be, yeah. I mean, there may be others we even know, don't even know about, but I mean... One thing I've often wondered when I take a look at the list of tweets he goes through on a given day, there are times I wonder, does he do anything else but watch Fox News and tweet about what he sees on the television. I don't know. But that has to be proven to me. <clears throat> but, you know, if I thought that the president did all of that, I would turn my back on it. Well, uh, and let me, let me just, let me, that, let me ask know. then, Henry, what would constitute proof? Because we've we've lost confidence in elected officials. If if someone, you know, from Congress or from the Senate comes out and says they don't, you know, something negative about the president, we tend to dismiss it as political, um, regardless of which party they're from. And and the president and his uh, supporters have, you know, and, and well, and I and I blame the media just as much for causing a lack of trust in media reports what would constitute proof to you henry that uh that that the president was blowing off uh briefings important intelligence material and so on because i see all of the arguments made by both the democrats and the republicans the president and the guy who wants to be president his critics and his supporters. And most of that stuff I can't believe. So, guys, I but are we, John decide, you have to prove it to me. I'm go, and I'm going well, to shift over. The president has to admit that he did that or somebody who was there with him. 
Well, or they have a recording of it. But then, but then we have you know somebody like John Bolton who comes out you know with a with a book and uh, you know he has some inside information. Um, can we trust what he says? And and let me let me move this over to Wood. Wood, do we too often go news shopping for the people that are saying what we want to hear? <laughs> well, I I think that there's some of that. Um, definitely. Uh, so, but, but I, I'm amazed and, and I, uh, I, I think we're in the second hour now. And so I, I've not taken a shot at you, Henry, um, but I, 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 it is, I mean, you know, I, I hold you in, 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 in such high professional and personal regard, but I, I, I just can't believe that you would say that it's okay to intravenously uh, feed the president, uh, that this man was elected because he's supposed to have the capacity, the intellectual capacity and political capacity, to lead this country. And, and, and a part of leading is pre- preparation. Let me, let me interrupt for just, just a minute here, because Henry said something that I think was very significant. He said... I. I need to see proof if the president is doing these things that he's accused of doing, I would turn away from him. That's a, that's, that's a huge statement and, that, and one that, that takes a right, great Henry, deal and it takes a great deal of integrity to, you know, to, to make that statement. But it does raise the question, what constitutes proof in this day and age? You know, what strikes me, and this is a larger issue with the president, is that for all the folks who worked in the White House and have left, I think almost without exception, everyone has come out and written a critical book saying this guy doesn't doesn't read, doesn't pay attention. And these are his friends. These are people he's appointed, who supported him, who worked with him in some way. And I can't recall any other president who's had so many ex-employees <clears throat> come out and write these ultra-critical books when they left the White House. Most of the time, they say, oh, I worked for President so-and-so, and I had a wonderful time. We did these great things. But with, with Trump, it's almost universally, I, I think without exception, maybe there's one, almost universally, all these books, and again, the Bolton one is the most recent one, all these books are critical of, of how he runs his office. There were, a few say, tell-all, there were a few tell-all books about Bill Clinton. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I said <laughs> yeah, yeah. he he took but some shots true. after uh, people left uh, the White House yeah, uh, during uh, his uh, administration. Uh, that's true. Most famously, George Stephanopoulos, who was very disillu- uh, disillusioned by his experiences yeah, with right, the Clinton right. administration. But but let's um, you know move this up a little bit because the the universality of these negative comments from ex-employees are so easily yeah. dismissed as sour grapes or disgruntled employees former employees and so on so what you know if if we don't take them in totality and and draw conclusions from them where do we go to make informed decisions about the conduct of the president of the United States. Well, I thought that Chris Christie, he 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 developed a book too. Wait, Mr. President, mm-hmm. oh, I can't. Like, but I thought he gave a balanced interpretation of who the president was. He had 
he had critical flaws that, uh, and he probably didn't know he had those, but, but that, that people could take shots at, and rightfully so, and he did himself. But he also says that there were people who plotted against him behind closed doors. So he had to get rid of some of these people. They were up to no good when he was first appointed. And Christie said he advised the president not to appoint these people. But after the president got involved with them, he saw that they were going in their own direction, and he got rid of them. So if your president, if your boss got rid of you, are you likely to say uh, he was a good boss? <laughs> not usually. Not usually. Yeah. And that's, yeah. and, but, and that's but, the problem. But isn't, to Henry's point, this president has had the highest turnover of yes. any president in recent times. And remember, yes. this is the same guy that said he was going to hire the best, the most intelligent. To drain the swamp. To drain the swamp, he had a, Right, right. That, there was a swamp in Washington. So you, you, <laughs> you, you, you can't have it both ways in terms of saying, you know, this guy uh, is going to hire all these great people, uh, but these, all these great people that he hired just happen to be dishonest. And he had to get rid of them. No, I wouldn't and say that. Uh, would no, no, no. And therefore, we can't take their uh, their opinions on the way out uh, the door. But this, this, but this everybody. Guy, let, let me just say this last thing. This guy, remember, is the same character uh, that he was in New York for all these years. Talk to folks in New York. They'll tell you about Donald Trump. This is not the only difference. Is he's on a big? He's on the uh, international stage. This is the same corrupt guy that was in New York City for all those years. Same guy. But, you know, the difference with Donald Trump is, unlike any other president, no matter how much money you got, no matter what racial group we belong to, no matter whether you're a woman or man or Democrat or Republican, he stands up to you. Oh, he I thought you were going to go somewhere else with that. I thought you were going to sit in there with... No matter how much money you have, no matter yeah. what your uh, yeah. uh, inner yeah. circle looks like, no yeah. matter how beautiful you are, if you're an idiot, you're still an idiot. That's why I thought <laughs> you were There's There's a great, uh, okay. a great line from my one of my favorite television shows, The West Wing, where they're talking about... Uh, presidential relationships and somebody says the reason presidents keep all their old friends is because when they become president they don't make any new friends well senate democrats are growing increasingly bullish about their chances to retake the majority in the chamber in november as uh, national polls show uh, President Donald Trump floundering in key battleground states, and Republicans uh, publicly and privately urge the president to retool his campaign message or risk a blowout down ballot in November in the race for Senate control. Democrats see a nationalized referendum on a president who has failed to contain the coronavirus and resulting economic collapse. A moment of racial reckoning over policing and inequality has mobilized their base, and in just a little over three months, Democrats have turned their focus from defending key battlegrounds in Alabama, Michigan, and New Hampshire to an expanded map that not only includes top targets like Colorado and Arizona, but states like Iowa, Maine, and Montana. 
I think the idea that this president was going to be a catastrophic disaster in an emergency was theoretical until this year. His performance over the last three months is a very uh, jarring is very jarring to a lot of Americans, said Senator Chris Murphy, a Democrat from Connecticut. I think folks now feel like not only does Trump have to go, but his enablers have to go. What are the chances that Democrats can take the White House and both houses of Congress in November? And are Republicans that allowed themselves to become allies of President Trump going to pay a price during this election cycle? Now, remember, Republicans, uh, they uh, stand on the platform. There's something that puts them together. Well, they, they did until they jumped and, on the um, Trump bandwagon. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, I, it'll be worth it still there's how many a Republican re- platform, and, and even the president recognizes that. So it'll be worth it to see how many Republicans back away from the president. The president is Republican, and... Uh, Republican senators and representatives and supporters, uh, there's nothing wrong with supporting that person for uh, the reasons that you both agree on. Can, can I ask, Tom, can I ask Paul a question? Sure. Yeah. So, so, so Paul, if, if, this is, if this is a um, an election about a referendum on Trump, Handy, if it's, if it's about a referendum on Trump, not, not policy... Um, you know, narr- narrative, just a, a, a referendum on Trump. Handicap the race in terms of uh, how we, how Dems do in the House, uh, the Senate, and the White House. Well, I, th- I think it's going to make a difference in large part because, I mean, there still is a fair amount of straight ticket voting, and I think that's going to be a factor this year. And I, and I do think, you're right, I think it's going to be a referendum on Trump above and beyond any policy details one way or the other on his whole personality. It's almost a cult of personality in some way. So I think it's going to be the, the number one issue in the election. And I think uh, what I'm looking for is to see whether or not any Republicans, senatorial candidates, try and separate themselves from Trump. But I do think that the, the straight ticket voting factor is going to be maybe, maybe enough to just tilt enough seats to give the, the Democrats the uh, the Senate this time around. I, you know, I would that hope that, that with the um, uh, the increased amount of voting by mail, where people have the ballots in their homes and have a little time to spend with them, I, I would hope to see less straight ticket voting. That could be true. That could be true. And yeah, and people will have more time to study it compared to what they did in the uh, in the voting booth. And of course, uh, you know, how I, well the Democrats. Do in this election will depend on who Joe Biden chooses as his vice president. If he yeah, chooses, I mean, really how well Joe Biden, Biden performs. I don't, I don't, I don't agree. I don't uh, agree, Henry. Uh, I, let I, let I me mean, finish I, this. No, I'm sorry, uh, I don't agree. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, no, no. I want to hear. I'm just saying I don't agree. Go ahead. Well, well, let me finish my statement before you. You might agree. <laughs> <laughs> because it could I, happen. It could happen. Now, now look at this. <laughs> Look, and I don't usually use race as a category that I enjoy talking about because it's ugly. Um, but I believe that if he, if he chooses a black woman, he will tick off the women in this country who have strived, 
the white women who have strived multiple times to achieve that uh, that seat. And that means that if Joe Biden goes to sleep at the helm, that means that the black woman becomes president. Now, how do, how would that play out that, in this uh, country, guys? Uh, We're uh, still uh, just zero, just zeroing in on that. I'm trying to imagine a, a scenario where uh, Joe Biden picks Kamala Harris as his running mate, yeah. and Elizabeth Warren goes on the road campaigning against him. Uh, that, <laughs> that's my fear. That's yeah, I don't think that's, that's going to I think Kamala well, Harris is going to be the VP nominee. And I that's think my guess too. Warren, yeah. Elizabeth Warren is going to be uh, a good soldier. So I, you know. But I, Henry, think about what I, think about what I just said. No, but it, but, but it raises know. an interesting thing. Would there be some, some, uh, you know, they're talking about women are turning a little bit away from uh, Donald Trump in polling, would some yeah. of them return uh, because of the the choice by Biden of an African-American uh, running mate, um, a woman uh, African-American and, running mate? And look how, negligible. Negligible. Look how, widely, yeah. look how widely we are divided in this country racially. Look how you know, they, people well, are afraid of that. It's in, it's interesting to ponder that a little bit, Henry. Um, but yes. I have a feeling, and this goes, you know, this goes back to the uh, James Carville days and in, in strategy. That at the end of the day, it's the economy, stupid. Remember when James Carville that's uh, true. brought that up, yeah. and and um, yeah. that's what Trump was uh, trying to campaign on. And now things are going to be different. You know, when it gets right up to election day in November, we've still got conventions to go through and and however they're going to be managed and handled. But think about how different things were four months ago and how different oh, yeah. they might be yeah. four months from now. But if the economy doesn't improve, that that is Trump's whole ball game. And if Biden doesn't zero in with a really solid economic message, um, he could he could give it away. Yeah. No, I think, I think Biden's got to perform well. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, one thing worth mentioning on the vice president choice, there's been a lot of studies over the years for all the talk we have about who ought to be vice president, and this person will bring this, these, these voters in or alienate those voters. <laughs> over the years, for all the studies... They show that VP choices have very minimal effect on elections. Maybe a percent or two. You know, but that's for, well, but not for, I'm not for all the sure chatter about who would be a good VP. Now, I'm it, not it sure that this how, year, I don't know. I'm not sure that race won't impact that as widely as we are divided in this country. As you know, I am concerned about the country, guys. You may not. Well, I'm a, given I'm, the number I'm, of African Americans that didn't vote, in 2016, yeah, yeah, it could it could go the other way, Henry. It could it could. Uh, um, I, I think maybe black voters are going to be a little bit more mobilized this time, and I think Joe Biden's going to benefit from that. Yeah, I, I believe that. Yeah, I, I I believe that that's a process to consider, but you still gotta if uh, if. Um, if he chooses a, a white woman as a vice president, 
then I'm fear for, for Donald Trump. In the, if he chooses a black woman, in in the midst I of, uh, think the population would turn against them. In the midst of the global pandemic with the presidential election just months away, the Justice Department asked the Supreme Court on Thursday to invalidate the Affordable Care Act, the landmark health care law that enabled millions of Americans to get insurance coverage and that remains in effect despite the pending legal challenge. In a late-night filing, Solicitor General Noel Francisco said that once the law's individual coverage mandate and the two or, and two key provisions are invalidated, the remainder of the ACA should not be allowed to remain in effect. The justices will hear arguments in the case sometime next term, although it is unclear if, if they will uh, occur before the November election. Um, if it does, um, first of all, is SCOTUS likely to throw out Obamacare, and isn't this kind of risky for the president on the... Uh, on the eve, would that be the October surprise that uh, Donald Trump took away you know, everybody's health care? I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned about that very same thing as you are, Tom. That's a concern of mine. Polit- politically, it strikes me as almost like a suicide move on Trump's part. I mean, right, whatever right, he use, right. it's the most foolish thing in the world politically to do at this point in the game. Yeah, let's see I, if we I can take everybody's uh, health care away as an October surprise. I think that 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 point and that issue is far more consequential in terms of impacting the outcome than who the who uh, Biden chooses as as a woman. I I, I guarantee you that Biden will choose an African American female. I don't. I I think that that decision is made. Now it's just a matter of who it's going to be, and I think it's going to be Kamala Harris. But but the more consequential piece in terms of the vice presidential piece and, and, and trying to undo the Affordable Care Act is the, the Affordable Care Act is a lot more white folks in that in that uh, uh, basket than yeah. they are black folks. Yeah. A lot more. Yes. And that's my concern. Uh, yeah. Sometimes, yeah. You, guys yeah, okay. right. sometimes <laughs> you guys get it right. Sometimes you guys get it right. If Kamala but Harris... We're on the same page here. If, uh, if Kamala Harris is, in fact, uh, Joe Biden's uh, choice for running mate and, and is the vice presidential candidate, I am so looking forward to a vice presidential debate. I think it will yeah. outperform the presidential debates. I, I agree. I agree. Probably true. I absolutely agree. A debate between Kamala Harris and Mike Pence is going to be yeah. something to watch. It'll it'll that, be, that uh, be it'll be yeah. uh, I, I, indicative. You know, uh, I, I'm sorry, Todd. I, I was just going to say it'd be indicative of the uh, the one between Lloyd Benson and um, uh, Dan Quayle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I've had an opportunity to go to. I think three or four presidential uh, uh, debates. I've never gone to a vice presidential debate, but if this was somewhere near uh, here, and you know, I could get up the nerve to um, travel uh, a distance given the pandemic and all, I, that's one that I'd like to see in person because I I, I think it would be worth the trip. I absolutely believe. Uh, well, maybe they your, could. Uh, make- Maybe they could do it at U of M, uh, <laughs> since uh, <You're> <laughs> Mike, Mike Pence doesn't seem to mind wearing the mask. 
Um, <laughs> hey, we got to we got to take another break. We'll come back with uh, with our uh, X Files and the final segment of Armchair Politics after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in. Edgewise, if you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Stay tuned. Hey, <laughs> this is the unknown comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Virtual playdates, social and physical distancing can help save lives. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com. Call us at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, 
table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all-night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at 4 in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody, as we uh, get into the final segment of today's edition of Armchair Politics, what I like to call the X-Files, those uh, weird and wacky news stories that uh, sound like they're made up, but they're not. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, Kevin Wise, 26, told KSLA-TV that he plunged into the indoor aquarium at a bass Pro Shop in uh, Bossier City last week to follow through on a promise he made to followers on the social media platform TikTok. I said that if I got 2,000 likes, I would jump in the tank, Wise said. I got way more than that and didn't want to be a liar. A video captured by shopper uh, uh, <laughs> Treasure McGraw showed Wise swimming through the tank before climbing out and running from the store with wet clothes. We heard a big splash, and I thought it was one of the fish, McGraw told the news outlet. My fiancé was like, somebody is in the tank, and we saw the guy swimming. Bass Pro Shops filed a complaint with the Bossier City Police Department Friday, saying it cost them money to empty out the 13,000-gallon aquarium and clean it after Wise's swim. Wise was charged with simple criminal damage to property and released with a citation to appear in court, police said. He told KSLA-TV he planned on continuing to make videos for his followers but cautioned others against doing similar (laughs) spur-of-the-moment pranks. Will this wise guy be the uh, reason why the Bass Pro Shop in Bossier has a no swimming sign by their aquarium? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> and what do you suppose this guy would do for a Klondike bar? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to know. <laughs> he wants to make sure that there are no piranhas in there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, here's one of the weirdest ones I've I've ever seen. A Florida woman <laughs> has filed a lawsuit seeking either a paternity test on her goats or a refund. And she's not kidding. Chris Hedstrom filed a suit against her neighbor, Heather Daner, last month, seeking DNA for the goats she purchased. Hedstrom and Daner 
or paid Daner $900 for five Nigerian dwarf goats in December. According to the lawsuit, Headstrong believed the goats, uh, I'm not going to say their names, could be registered with the American Dairy Goat Association, a group that records goat pedigrees. Registered goats have higher values than unregistered goats. Daner, who's been selling goats at Baxter Lane Farm for about 10 years, typically provides information to her clients so they can register their animals themselves. She said the father goat was registered, but the Tampa Bay Times reports the American Dairy Goat Association rejected Hedstrom's application to register the babies because Daner is not an active member. Uh, proving uh, paternity would require about 40 of the father goat's hair follicles for a DNA test. Wow. So Hedstrom wow. wrote Daner a letter requesting the DNA in February. Daner offered to refund the money in exchange for the goats. She said Hedstrom called police on her for three months straight and has trespassed on her farm, probably trying to steal hairs. A uh, Hillsborough County Sheriff's deputy visited the property at least three times in the spring. Daner said she didn't hear anything else from Hedstrom until the lawsuit was filed. Um, is this why the word GOAT has become an acronym for greatest of all time? <laughs> that must be. Oh, gee. Well, and and more more critter stuff. Most people would be bugged <laughs> to find a caterpillar in their supermarket broccoli, but not Sam Darliston. Instead, the British media personality decided to raise it to maturity, and six others he also found among the broccoli shoots. Darliston, a host of uh, Kiss FM in the UK and a vegetarian, discovered the first caterpillar uh, back on June 11th when he started to pre uh, prepare his favorite vegetable purchased from his local Tesco supermarket. Darliston was shocked at first, but that feeling soon turned to joy when he realized he had a new pet to enjoy during lockdown in his London home. <laughs> I did my research initially and discovered the exact type of caterpillar butterfly we were dealing with. Uh, a cabbage white, by the way, he told uh, HuffPost. I then decided to build him a little home in my lounge with all the broccoli he wanted. He gave his new companion the name of Cedric. Tesco refunded him the $1.37 U.S. for the cost of the caterpillar-infested broccoli. He used it to purchase more veggies and unexpectedly got more caterpillars. The broccoli, <laughs> the broccoli I'd got as a replacement contained five more, Darliston told HuffPost. And then a third broccoli belonging to my housemate had another one, so one became seven caterpillars overnight. He decided to keep them all. I'm a firm believer in not harming any animals or insects if possible. And I just sort of knew what I had to do after Googling how to keep a caterpillar, he said. Darliston named the other members of his buggy brood. Along the way, he has uh, faced challenges, especially when they started evolving toward their mature state. The biggest challenge I faced whilst raising the... Uh, uh, let's see... Um, I lost my place there. Here, we'll find it again. Uh, the biggest challenge I faced while raising the caterpillars was their love of 
escaping, especially when they are about to, con to cocoon. One day we found one on an, ornament, an ornamental vanilla stick, one under a table and one under a candle holder cocooning. They'd broken, uh, they'd, they'd broke free from the paper lid. Darliston also got to see his caterpillar family start to hook up with each other. He also witnessed them going into the cocoon stage of their life, but his parents had a hard time accepting his new family. Still, Darliston learned to enjoy the simple pleasures of parenthood. He also became melancholy when he realized they were growing up. Late last week, six of his seven caterpillars had gone into the cocooning stage. That ne uh, necessitated some family photos. Darliston said his oldest child, Cedric, finally emerged as a butterfly this past weekend. How bored are people getting during this pandemic? <laughs> <laughs> and that was my thought. We were like doing strange things during this isolation. <laughs> and would yeah. you go yeah. back to a store that had caterpillars in their broccoli? <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they can change Don't their name. The caterpillars so. are us. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, the, I, the, I think the funniest part of the whole story is that he went back to the same store and had his broccoli replaced, and there were caterpillars in the new broccoli. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Maybe that, there's a market for caterpillars, more so than broccoli. Who knows? <laughs> well, there will be now. Anybody yeah. that loves uh, caterpillars is going to start shopping yeah, at Tesco. <laughs> Anyway, that, uh, that wraps it up for uh, today's edition of uh, Armchair Politics, unless anybody has any final comments. But I want to first say thanks to my, my guest uh, earlier this morning, Brendan Beery, talking about the, um, the abortion case uh, in uh, the Supreme Court uh, decisions, recent uh, Supreme Court decisions, but also to uh, to my cohorts here on Armchair Politics, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hander. Thank you both, and Woodrow, it's always a pleasure when you join us. Always good Enjoyed to be here. Enjoyed it. Thank pleasure. you. Uh, oh, Tom, I would like to just congratulate all African Americans who um, present outstanding scholarship for the positions that they, that they display uh, on TV and radio showing uh, great uh, products, uh, uh, leadership positions, and so on and so forth. We're getting better, and I want to thank all of those business leaders and politicians who step up and pay it forward, because I think this is a, a sense that white Americans realize that by 2050, they will no longer be the arithmetic and political majority of this country. And there's a new political majority coming, and I think that they are trying to make sure they move toward this without glitches. That's it. Well, Henry, thank you so much for that. And uh, again, thanks, guys. Um, that wraps it up for today's edition of Armchair Politics. And there's Smokin' George winners tickling the ivories, uh, letting me know it's time to head down the hall to the, uh, to the living room. But uh, before I do, I'll invite you to... Join us tomorrow as we remember a uh, comedy legend, actor, uh, writer, producer, um, Carl Reiner, who passed away Monday night at age 98. And we're going to have uh, Carl Reiner in his own words, but we're going to open the phone line so that you can remember Carl Reiner with me and Andrea tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. In the meantime, good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show 
We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.